Story Eleven of the Times Red Cross Storybook by Famous Novelist Serving in His Majesty's Forces by Various. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Story Eleven: The Bronze Parrot by R. Austin Freeman, Royal Army Medical Corps. The Reverend Deodatus Jolly had just sat down to the gate-legged table on which lunch was spread, and had knocked his knee, according to his invariable custom, against the sharp corner of the seventh leg. "'I wish you would endeavour to be more careful, Mr. Jolly,' said the rector's wife. "'You nearly upset the mustard-pot, and these jars are exceedingly bad for the leg.' "'Oh, that's of no consequence, Mrs. Bodley,' the curate replied cheerfully. "'I don't agree with you at all,' was the stiff rejoinder. "'It doesn't matter, you know, so long as the skin isn't broken,' Mr. Jolly persisted, with an ingratiating smile. "'I was referring to the leg of the table,' Mrs. Bodley corrected frostly. "'Oh, I beg your pardon,' said the curate, and, blushing like a Dublin Bay prawn, he abandoned himself in silence to the consideration of the numerical ratios suggested by five mutton-chops and three prospective consumers. The problem thus presented was one of deep interest to Mr. Jolly, who had a remarkably fine appetite for such an exceedingly small man, and he awaited its solution with misgivings, born of previous disappointments. "'I hope you are not very hungry, Mr. Jolly,' said the rector's wife. "'Er, no, er, not unusually so,' was the curate's suave and casuistical reply. "'The fact is that he was always hungry, excepting after the monthly tea-meetings. "'Because,' pursued Mrs. Bodley, "'I see that Walker has only cooked five chops, and yours looks rather a small one.' "'Oh, it will be quite sufficient, thank you,' Mr. Jolly hastened to declare, adding, a little unfortunately, perhaps, amply sufficient for any moderate and temperate person. The Reverend Augustus Bodley emerged from behind the church times, and directed a suspicious glance at his curate, who, becoming suddenly conscious of the ambiguity of his last remark, blushed crimson and cut himself a colossal slice of bread. There was an uncomfortable silence, which lasted some minutes, and was eventually broken by Mrs. Bodley. "'I want you to go into Dilbury this afternoon, Mr. Jolly, and execute a few little commissions.' "'Certainly, Mrs. Bodley, with pleasure,' said the curate. "'I want you to call and see if Miss Goss has finished my hat. If she has, you had better bring it with you. She is so unreliable, and I want to wear it at the Holly Jones garden party to-morrow. If it isn't finished, you must wait until it is. Don't come away without it. No, Mrs. Bodley, I will not. I will be extremely firm. Mind you are. Then I want you to go to Minikin's and get two reels of whitey-brown thread, four balls of crochet cotton, and eight yards of lace insertion, the same kind as I had last week. And Walker tells me that she has run out of black lead. You had better bring two packets, and mind you don't put them in the same pocket with the lace insertion. Oh, and as you are going to the oil shop, you may as well bring a jar of mixed pickles. And then you are to go to Dumsel's and order a fresh haddock. Perhaps you could bring that with you, too? And then to Barber's, and tell them to send four pounds of dessert pears, and be sure they are good ones and not overripe. You'd better select them and see them weighed yourself. I will. I will select them most carefully, said the curate, inwardly resolving not to trust to mere external appearances, which are often deceptive. 
oh and by the way jolly said the rector as you are going into the town you might as well take my shooting boots with you and tell crummell to put a small patch on the soles and set up the heels it won't take him long perhaps he can get them done in time for you to bring them back with you ask him to try i will mr bodley said the curate i will urge him to make an effort and as you are going to crummles said mrs bodley i will give you my walking shoes to take to him they want soling and heeling and tell him he is to use better leather than he did last time half an hour later mr jolly passed through the playground appertaining to the select boarding academy maintained by the rev augustus bodley he carried a large and unshapely newspaper parcel despite which he walked with the springy gait of a released schoolboy as he danced across the desert expanse his attention was arrested by a small crowd of the pupils gathered significantly around two larger boys whose attitude suggested warlike intentions indeed even as he stopped to observe them one warrior delivered a tremendous blow which expended itself on the air within a foot of the other combatant's nose oh fie exclaimed the scandalized curate joblet joblet do you realize that you nearly struck piles that you might actually have hurt him i meant to hurt him said jollop you meant to oh but how wrong how unkind let me beg you let me entreat you to desist from these discreditable acts of violence he stood a while gazing with an expression of pained disapproval at the combatants who regarded him with sulky grins then as the hostility seemed to be uh, temporarily suspended he walked slowly to the gate he was just pocketing the key when an extremely somnolent pair impinged on the gate-post and sprinkled him with disintegrated fragments he turned wiping his coat skirt with his handkerchief and addressed the multitude who all oddly enough happened to be looking in the opposite direction that was very naughty of you very naughty someone must have thrown that pair i won't tempt you to prevarication by asking who but pears don't fly of themselves especially sleepy ones with this he went out of the gate followed by an audible snigger which swelled as he walked away into a yell of triumph the curate tripped blithely down the village street clasping his parcel and scattering smiles of concentrated amiability broadcast among the villagers as he approached the stile that guarded the footpath to dilbury his smile intensified from mere amiability to positive affection a small lady a very small lady in fact was standing by the stile resting a disproportionate basket on the lower step and we may as well admit at once and without circumlocution that this lady was none other than miss dorcas shipton and the prospective mrs jolly the curate changed over his parcel to hold out a welcoming hand dorcas my dear he exclaimed what a lucky chance that you should happen to come this way it isn't chance the little lady replied i heard mrs bodley say that she would ask you to go into dilbury so i determined to come and speed you on your journey the distance to dilbury was about three and a half miles and see that you were properly equipped why did you not bring your umbrella 
Mr. Dolly explained that the hat, the boots, the fresh haddock, and the mixed pickles would fully occupy his available organs of prehension. "'That is true,' said Dorcas, "'but I hope you are wearing your chest protector and those cork soles that I gave you.' Mr. Jolly assured her that he had taken these necessary precautions. "'And have you rubbed your heels well with soap?' "'Yes,' replied the curate, "'thoroughly, most thoroughly. They are a little sticky at present, but I shall feel the benefit as I go on. I have obeyed your instructions to the letter.' that is right deodatus said miss dorcas and as you have been so good you shall have a little reward she lifted the lid of the basket and took out a small paper bag which she handed to him with a fond smile the curate opened the bag and peered in expectantly ah he exclaimed bull's eyes how nice how good of you dorcas and how discriminating bull's eyes were his one dissipation won't you take one no thank you replied dorcas i mustn't go into the cottage smelling of peppermint why not asked deodatus i often do i think the poor creatures rather enjoy the aroma especially the children but dorcas was adamant and after some further chirping and twittering the two little people exchanged primly affectionate farewells and the curate having popped a bull's-eye into his mouth padded away along the footpath sucking joyously it is needless to say that mrs bodley's hat was not finished the curate had unwisely executed all his other commissions before calling on the milliner had ordered the pears and even tested the quality of one or two samples had directed the cobbler to send the rector's boots to the hat shop and had then collected the lace black lead cotton pickles and the fresh haddock and borne them in triumph to the abode of miss Goss it appeared that the hat would not be ready until seven o'clock in the evening but it also appeared that tea would be ready in a few minutes accordingly the curate remained to partake of that meal in the workroom in the company with miss gosse and her hands and having been fed to a bursting point with french rolls and cake left his various belongings and went forth to while away the time and paint the town of dilbury not exactly red but a delicate and attenuated pink after an hour or so of rambling about the town the curate's errant footsteps carried him down to the docks where he was delighted with the spectacle of a military transport just home from west africa discharging her passengers the khaki-clad warriors trooped down the gangplanks and saluted him with cheerful greetings as he sat on a bollard and watched them one even inquired if his mr jolly's mother knew he was out which the curate thought very kind and attentive of him but what thrilled him most was the appearance of the chaplain a fine portly churchman with an imposing coppery nose who was so overjoyed at the sight of his native land that he sang aloud mr jolly was deeply affected when the soldiers had gone he slowly retraced his steps towards the gates but he had hardly gone twenty yards when his eye was attracted by a small object lying in the thick grass that grew between the irregular paving-stones of the quay he stooped to pick it up and uttered an exclamation of delight it was a tiny effigy of a parrot quaintly wrought in bronze and not more than two and a half inches high including the pedestal on which it stood 
a perforation through the eyes had furnished the means of suspension and a strand of silken thread yet remained to show by its frayed ends how the treasure had been lost mr jolly was charmed it was such a dear little parrot so quaint so naive he was a simple man and small things gave him pleasure and this small thing pleased him especially the better to examine his find he seated himself on a nice clean white post and proceeded to polish the little effigy with his handkerchief having previously moistened the latter with his tongue the polishing improved its appearance wonderfully and he was inspecting it complacently when his eye lighted on a chalked inscription on the pavement the writing was upside down as he sat but he had no difficulty in deciphering the words wet paint he rose hastily and examined the flat top of the post there is no need to go into details suffice it to say that someone looking at that post would have seen that some person had sat on it mr jolly moved away with an angry exclamation it was very annoying but that did not justify the expressions that he used which were not only out of character with his usual mild demeanour but unsuitable to his cloth even if that cloth happened to be uh, but again we say there is no need to go into details still frowning irritably he strode out through the dock gates and up the high street on his way to miss goss's establishment as he was passing the fruiterer's shop mr barber the proprietor ran out good evening mr jolly about those pears that you ordered of my young man you'd better not have those sir let me send you another kind why asked the curate well sir those pears to be quite candid are not very good i don't care whether they are good or bad interrupted mr jolly i am not going to eat them and he stamped away up the high street leaving the fruiterer in a state of stupefaction but he did not proceed directly to the milliner's some errant fancy impelled him to turn up a side street and make his way towards the waterside portion of the town and it was in fact nearly eight o'clock when he approached miss goss's premises now closed for the night and rang the bell the interval however had not been entirely uneventful a blue mark under the left eye and a somewhat battered and dusty condition of hat and clothing seemed reminiscent of recent and thrilling experiences and the satisfied grin that he bestowed on the astonished caretaker suggested that those experiences if strenuous had not been wholly unpleasurable the shades of night had fallen on the village of bobham when mr jolly appeared in the one and only street he carried balanced somewhat unsteadily on his head a large cardboard box but was otherwise unencumbered the box had originally been of a cubical form but now presented a slightly irregular outline and from one corner a thin liquid dripped on mr jolly's shoulder diffusing an aroma of vinegar and onions with an added savour that was delicate and fish-like up the empty street the curate strode with a martial air and having picked up the box for the thirteenth time just outside the gate entered the rectory deposited his burden on the drawing-room sofa and went up to his room he required no supper for once in a way he was not hungry he had in fact taken a little refreshment in town and whelks are a very satisfying food if you only take enough of them 
In his narrow and bumpy bed the curate lay wakeful and wrapped in pleasing meditation. Now his thoughts strayed to the little bronze parrot which he had placed, after a final polish, on the mantelpiece. And now, in delightful retrospection, he recalled the incidents of his little jaunt. There was, for instance, the slightly intoxicated marine with whom he had enjoyed a playful interview in Mermaid Street. Gleefully he reconstituted the image of that warrior as he had last seen him sitting in the gutter, attending to his features with a reddened handkerchief. And there was the overturned whelk stall and the two blue jackets outside the Pope's head. He grinned at the recollection and yet there were grumblers who actually complained of the dullness of the clerical life again he recalled the pleasant walk home across the darkening fields the delightful rest by the wayside on the cardboard box and the pleasantries that he had exchanged with a pair of rustic lovers who had told him that he ought to be ashamed of himself a gentleman and a minister of religion too he chuckled aloud as he thought of their bucolic irritation and his own brilliant repartee but at this moment his meditations were broken into by a very singular interruption from the neighbourhood of the mantelpiece there issued a voice a very strange voice deep buzzing resonant chanting a short sentence framed of yet more strange and unfamiliar words donker emitted ma tomb on essay this astounding phrase rang out in the little room with a deep booming emphasis on the tomb and an interrogative note on the two final words there followed an interval of intense silence and then from some distance as it seemed came the tapping of drums imitating most curiously the sound and accent of the words tomb for instance being rendered by a large drum of a deep cavernous tone mr jolly listened with a pleased and interested smile after a short interval the chant was repeated and again like a far-away echo the drums performed their curious mimicry of speech mr jolly was deeply interested after a dozen or so repetitions he found himself able to repeat with a fair accent the mysterious sentence and even to imitate the tapping and booming of the drums but after all you can have too much of a good thing and when the chant had continued to recur at intervals of about ten seconds for a quarter of an hour mr jolly began to feel bored there he said that'll do and he composed himself for slumber but the invisible chanter ignoring his remark continued the performance da capo and ad lib in fact ad nauseam then mr jolly became annoyed first he sat up in bed and made what he considered appropriate comments on the performance with a few personal references to the performer and then as the chant still continued with the relentless persistence of a chapel bell he sprang out and strode furiously over to the mantelpiece shut up he roared shaking his fist at the invisible parrot and strange to say both the chant and the drumming ceased forthwith there are some forms of speech it would seem that require no interpreter when mr jolly entered the breakfast-room on the following morning the rector's wife was in the act of helping her husband to a devilled kidney but she paused in the occupation to greet the curate with a stony stare 
mr jolly sat down and knocked his knee as usual but commented on the circumstance in terms which were not at all usual the rector stared aghast and mrs bodley exclaimed in shrill accents mr jolly how dare at this point she paused having caught the curate's eye a deathly silence ensued during which mr jolly glared at a solitary boiled egg suddenly he snatched up a knife and with uncanny dexterity decapitated the egg with a single stroke then he peered curiously into the disclosed cavity now if there was one thing that mr jolly hated more than another it was an underdone egg and as his eye encountered a yellow spheroid floating in a clear liquid he frowned ominously raw by gosh he exclaimed hoarsely and plucking the egg from its calyx he sent it hurtling across the room for several seconds the rector stared silent and open-mouthed at his curate then following his wife's gaze he stared at the wall on the chrysanthemum paper of which appeared a new motif uncontemplated by the designer and meanwhile mr jolly reached across the table and stuck a fork into the deviled kidney when the rector looked round and discovered his loss he essayed some spluttered demands for an explanation but since the organs of speech are associated with the act of mastication the curate was not in a position to answer him his eyes however were disengaged at the moment and some compelling quality in them caused the rector and his wife to rise from their chairs and back cautiously towards the door mr jolly nodded them out blandly and being left in possession proceeded to fill himself a cup of tea and another of coffee cleared the dish emptied the toast-rack and having disposed of these trifles concluded a gargantuan repast by crunching up the contents of the sugar-basin never had he enjoyed such a breakfast and never had he felt so satisfied and joyous having wiped his smiling lips on the tablecloth he strode out into the playground where the boys were waiting to be driven into lessons at the moment of his appearance messrs joblett and biles were in the act of resuming adjourned hostilities the curate strode through the ring of spectators and beamed on the combatants with ferocious benevolence his arrival had produced a brief armistice but as he uttered no protests the battle was resumed with a tentative prod on the part of joblett the curate grinned savagely that isn't the way joblett he exclaimed kick him man kick him in the stomach beg pardon sir said joblett regarding his preceptor with saucer eyes did you say kick him yes roared the curate in the stomach like this he backed a few paces and fixing a glittering eye on biles's abdomen rushed forward and flinging his right foot back until it was almost visible over his shoulder let out a tremendous kick but biles's stomach was not there neither was biles which of course follows the result was that mr jolly's foot meeting with no resistance flew into space carrying mr jolly's centre of gravity with it when the curate scrambled to his feet and glared balefully around the playground was empty a frantic crowd surged in through the open house door while stragglers hurriedly climbed over the walls mr jolly laughed hoarsely it was time to open school but at the moment he was not studiously inclined letting himself out by the gate 
he strolled forth into the village and sauntered up the street and here it was just opposite the little butcher's shop that he encountered the village atheist now this philosopher who it is needless to say was a cobbler by profession had a standing and a perennial joke which was to greet the curate with the words how do jolly and thereby elicit a gracious good morning mr pegg and a polite touch of the hat he proceeded this morning to utter the invariable formula cocking his eye at the expectant butcher but the anticipated response came not instead the curate turned on him suddenly and growled say sir you vermin when you speak to your betters the astounded cobbler was speechless for a moment but only for a moment what he exclaimed me say sir to a sneakin little sky pilot what here mr jolly turned and stepped lightly over to the shop reaching in through the open front he lifted a cleaver from its nail and swinging it high above his head rushed with a loud yell at the offending cobbler but mr pegg was not without presence of mind which in this case connoted absence of body before you could say wax he had darted into his house bolted the door and was looking down with bulging eyes from the first floor window on the crown of the curate's hat meanwhile the butcher had emerged angrily from his shop and approached the curate from behind here he exclaimed gruffly what are you doing with that chop here he paused suddenly as mr jolly turned his head and he continued with infinite suavity could you sir manage to spare that cleaver if you would be so kind mr jolly uttered a sulky growl and thrust the great chopper into its owner's hands then as the butcher turned away he gave a loud laugh on which the tradesman cleared his threshold at a single bound and slammed the half-door behind him but a terrified backward glance showed him the curate's face wreathed in smiles and another glance made him aware of the diminutive figure of miss dorcas shipton approaching up the street the curate ran forward to meet her beaming with affection but he didn't merely beam not at all the sound of his greeting was audible even to mr pegg who leaned out of the window with eyes that bulged more than ever really deodatus exclaimed the scandalized miss dorcas what can you be thinking about in such a pub her remonstrances were cut short at this point by fresh demonstrations which caused the butcher to wipe his mouth with the back of his hand and mr pegg to gasp with fresh amazement pray pray remember yourself deodatus exclaimed the blushing dorcas wriggling at length out of his too affectionate grasp besides she added with a sudden strategic inspiration you surely ought to be in school at this time that is of no consequence darling said jolly advancing on her with open arms old bod can look after the whelps oh but you mustn't neglect your duties deodatus said miss dorcas still backing away won't you go in just to please me certainly my love if you wish it replied jolly with an amorous leer i'll go at once but i must have just one more and again the village street rang with a sound as of the popping of a ginger-beer cork as he approached the school mr jolly became aware of a familiar and distasteful roar of many voices standing in the doorway he heard mr bodley declare with angry emphasis that he would not have this disgraceful noise and saw him slap the desk with his open hand 
whereupon nothing in particular happened excepting an apparently preconcerted chorus of as many goats then mr jolly entered and looked round and in a moment the place was wrapped in a silence like that of an egyptian tomb space does not allow of our recording in detail the history of the next few days we may however say in general terms that there grew up in the village of bobham a feeling of universal respect for the diminutive curate not entirely unmixed with superstitious awe rustics hitherto lax in their manners pulled off their hats like clockwork at his approach mr pegg abandoning the village street cultivated a taste for footpaths preferably remote and unobstructed by trees the butcher fell into the habit of sending gratuitous sweetbreads to the rectory addressed to mr jolly and even the blacksmith when he had recovered from his black eye adopted a suave and conciliatory demeanour the rector's wife alone cherished a secret resentment though outwardly attentive in the matter of devilled kidneys and streaky bacon and urged the rector to get rid of his fire-eating subordinate but her plans failed miserably it is true that the rector did venture tentatively to open the subject to the curate who listened with a lowering brow and sharpened a lead pencil with a colossal pocket-knife that he had bought at a ship chandler's in dilbury but the conclusion was never reached distracted perhaps by mr jolly's inscrutable manner the rector became confused and to his own surprise found himself urging the curate to accept an additional twenty pounds a year an offer which mr jolly immediately insisted on having in writing the only person who did not share the universal awe was miss dorcas for she like the sundial numbered only the sunny hours but she respected him more than any and though dimly surprised at the rumours of his doings gloried in secret over his prowess thus the days rolled on and mr jolly put on flesh visibly then came the eventful morning when on scanning the rector's times his eye lighted on an advertisement in the personal column ten pounds reward lost a small bronze effigy of a parrot on a square pedestal the whole two and a half inches high the above reward will be paid on behalf of the owner by the curator of the ethnographical department of the british museum who has a photograph and description of the object now mr jolly had become deeply attached to the parrot but after all it was only a pretty trifle and ten pounds was ten pounds that very afternoon the curator found himself confronted by a diminutive clergyman of ferocious aspect and hurriedly disgorged ten sovereigns after verifying the description and to this day he is wont to recount as an instance of the power of money the remarkable change for the better in the clergyman's manners when the transaction was completed it was late in the afternoon when mr jolly reappeared in the village of bobham he carried a gigantic paper parcel under one arm and his pockets bulged so that he appeared to suffer from some unclassified deformity at the stile he suddenly encountered mr pegg who prepared for instant flight and was literally stupefied when the curate lifted his hat and graciously wished him good evening but mr pegg was even more stupefied when a few minutes later he saw the curate seated on a doorstep with the open parcel on his knees and a mob of children gathered around him for mr jolly with the sunniest of smiles was engaged in distributing dolls 
peg-tops, skipping-ropes, and little wooden horses to a running accompaniment of bull's-eyes, brandy-balls, and other delicacies, which he produced from inexhaustible pockets. He even offered Mr. Pegg himself a sugar-stick, which the philosophic cordwainer accepted with a polite bow, and presently threw over a wall. But he pondered deeply on this wonder, and is probably pondering still, in common with the other inhabitants of Bobham but though from that moment mr jolly became once more the gentlest and most amiable of men the prestige of his former deeds remained reverential awe attended his footsteps abroad devilled kidneys and streaky bacon were his portion at home until such time as miss dorcas shipton underwent a quieter metamorphosis and became mrs deodatus jolly and thereafter he walked not only amidst reverence and awe but also amidst flowers and sunshine postscript the curious who would know more about the parrot may find him on his appropriate shelf in the west african section and read the large descriptive label which sets forth his history bronze gold weight in the form of a parrot this object was formerly the property of the great ashanti war chief amankwa tia whose clan totem was a parrot it was worn by him attached to his wrist as an amulet or charm and when on a campaign a larger copy of it of gilded wood was carried by the chief herald who preceded him and chanted his official motto it may be explained here that each of the ashanti generals had a distinguishing motto consisting of a short sentence which was called out before him by his heralds when on the march and repeated with remarkably close mimicry by the message drums thus when several bodies of troops were marching through the dense forest their respective identities were made clear to one another by the sound of the chant on the drums Amantquatia's motto was Tunca Aditi Matum on Etse, which may be translated Foreign slaves revile me. Why? A somewhat meaningless sentence, but having perhaps a sinister significance. End of story eleven.